Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Now, today I'm joined by Emma Bannister. Now, she's the founder and CEO of a company called Presentation Studio. They work with some of the biggest businesses in Asia Pacific to help them with their PowerPoint presentations, explain videos, graphics, and more, a lot more. Now, this is not a boring PowerPoint podcast. I can tell you now, it is definitely not. It is very interesting and there's a lot of science involved in it. If it seems like a niche field, That's because it really is. But Emma's company has 32 full-time staff and it's a multi-million dollar business. Snuck under the radar. I want to talk about how Emma turned doing something she was good at into becoming a very successful business across a wide region. And what it's like having your presentations spoken at somewhere like the United Nations and of course all sorts of other crazy places. So let's get into it. Emma Bannister. Welcome to The Mentor. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Any relation to Bruce Bannister, like uh, the Hulk? No. None. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, I or The t- Runner. Or The Runner. Okay. Of course, he was an uh, English runner, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do, do detect an English accent. It's ever so slight, although you haven't really opened up yet. Um, are you English? I'm English. I've been here since 2002, but I did marry a Kiwi, so that's messed with my accent. My God. Uh, <laughs> Kiwi marrying an English person or an English person marrying a Kiwi and now living in Australia with a little bit of a... An Australian a, kids. A little Australian kids. Um, so you've been here since 2002, did you say? Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, well you sort of, obviously, uh, you, you're not a convict, so why did you come here? I came here for the weather. Uh, the, the warmth and I just needed a big change. So I'd been working and living in London and had absolute enough of all of the dramas with terrorists and incidents and I was working in the big cities and everything was shut down and I just wanted more and I really worked hard to come and set up a new life here in Australia. Oh, that's cool. So... I mean, I know we're going to talk about your business in a moment. You know, your business is a good business and therefore you've set up in a 16-year period or did you already have a business like this before you came here? What's your background? So my background is graphic design. I left school very early. I left school at – I left home at 16 and went off to London to live on my own. Where was home? Home was North London near near Heathrow Airport and um, I was living there but got out very, very young, far too young and then – Went after a bit of a spell of trying to be a model for a while and living that life. I had enough of that. Went back to uni, studied graphic design, went to work for the banks and worked as a corporate graphic designer and fell into this world of creating presentations for fund managers and people that were presenting really important pitches and presentations. And I was a German bank, so I was working for Deutsche Bank and really got a handle on the... Um, guidelines and corporate life and realised there was so much more that I could do. And that was the start of the presentation side. That's interesting because for our listeners, um, what is normal in corporations, particularly well, in my experience anyway in financial services, is that you have a graphic designer inside because you're always doing a pitch or a presentation or an annual report or I don't know, some sort of investor presentation of course, you need um, graphs and pictures and all the interesting stuff, and um, none of us in our organisations can do that. So we call on the graphic designer who actually puts it together, so pretties it up, sexes it up, pretties it up, makes it more interesting, 
um, and gives it sort of some another dimension, a third dimension. So it sort of hopefully it jumps out at you. And we're really what we're interested in is everyone looking at the graphs and not looking at the uh, narrative. And nine times out of ten, I, my experience again, nine times out of ten, everybody who prepares a pitch document internally in an office, they might be really good at their job, but they're fucking hopeless at uh, preparing a document like this, a pitch document or an investor relations document or an annual report or just a report. And not only are they hopeless at preparing it, but they're hopeless, hopeless at presenting it. So you've worked in that environment for a long time, observing these bankers. Yep. I mean, and by the way, Deutsche Bank in the UK, but for those who don't, is a big bank. Deutsche Bank is a very, very big in, bank in Europe, but they're quite big in, in, in London. They have yeah. a big office in there and they have a big one in New York because I had some experience with them over the years. So you would have got good experience in probably not so much preparing the part they prepare, but actually watching where they where they're, um, where they were weak. Yeah. And it was the, the interesting thing was that they were always these these deals are worth so much money, and then the the last person to touch it were just desktop publishers that didn't really know what they were doing, and the the communication of the actual insight of what they were saying is what was lost, and that's where I wanted to make a change in what I was doing in the business as well. So it's interesting you should say this because I'm actually t- last night, funnily enough. Um, we're having our um, four-year audit board meeting straight after this uh, podcast, and then we, once assuming the accounts are approved, we then release it to the market to the stock exchange. And I was reading, been reading through for the last four or five days, um, the document that was being prepared by our guys and girls. And uh, I was only thinking to myself, oh my god, like it's um, it's a written document, so it's for a start it doesn't really translate into. A, speak, a speaking document, that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is we've been through like, I don't know, 10 versions and uh, everyone has a crack at it. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got a view. And um, pretty much none of them make any difference um, because it's still, a, it's just a narrative. And of course, you've got all these constraints about what you can and can't say in yeah. the world and it gets legal. Yeah. Yeah, and then the lawyers look at it and then the board looks at it and it gets sanitized and dumbed down and... Uh, doesn't become a sales document in the end or a pitch document or even an exciting document or an interesting document. It becomes like a scaredy cat sort of I'm terrified type document by the time it gets through to the board, which is where we're going to end up today. Is that your experience too? Yeah. And the, but the, we try and educate our clients to do it something in a, in a really different way. So the, the process that we advocate is having two different documents for the the situations that you're talking about. So when they're sharing information in front of other people, then the visuals really support what you're saying. And it's not like the magazine report style document that you all have all been reading. So we need that research tool and reference tool, but that shouldn't be what goes up on the screen when you're making your point. And for me, it's around helping the individual speakers, whether it's one person or a group of speakers, say, okay, what is your actual insight of this graph? Don't put the whole graph there and hope that everyone draws the same opinion as you. We will need to identify what that is, visualize that in a way that the audience find memorable and that they can understand. And then that's what we share visually. And afterwards, again, they can reference the document. So we need two tools and we have a whole process that we work through with that. So you, you uh, 16 years ago there, it was a 16 years ago you set up um, your business? Um, uh, the business is 11 years old. Okay. So I. Um, so when you came to Australia in 2002, what did you do? I, um, I tried very hard to get a visa and was working th- several jobs and ended up being sponsored to work for a market research company. So again, creating presentations for them in, in the same sense. So I was literally creating PowerPoint presentations. And then when I went on maternity leave, I was like, I can do this and help companies create better presentations. And when I started, it was very much around sexying up PowerPoint. Mm. And it was taking what you've got, making it on brand, making it look better and giving it back to you. So people felt more professional and a bit more polished. But over the years, the business has morphed into more communication. So it's not just a case of tidying up. It's actually helping with the message and structure. And we've got a whole team that develop that through to um, the visuals. And then we can help train people either to do it themselves or deliver it. So here we go. We've got a, a younger woman, um, just had a child, trying to get permanent residency here in this country, this yeah. great country of ours, which you did. 
You got, and um, you had a lot of skill and a lot of experience, and you noticed there was a a gap in the market or a demand for, for a, a particular type of service. Um, was it more necessity that made you make the decision to go into business for yourself, or was it um, something that you always wanted to do and the opportunity arose because you were pregnant or you just had a child? It was um, the plan, knowing that I was pregnant, the plan was that I would go and create a freelance sort of sideline to earn some money while I was pregnant and had a young child. That was that was the goal. And then the eventuality of it was that we I got so busy that we couldn't go on holiday or do any of the things that I planned to do. Um, so it just grew the minute I put a website up. So my dad actually helped me create the website and there were three things on it, tidy it up, make over my presentation or get um, a full complete renovation sort of thing. And um, I just got swamped. Like I put it on Google and Westpac came to me, Rams came to me like, and they just, cool, just like, stop, I've got to stop you because like you, you, you said that, um, so it wasn't, it was sort of vanilla. You just said, Oh, I'm just going to have a crack at this because it wasn't some massive big plan that you've been planning for years and you were about to stalk the market and uh, you snuck up on them and then you hit them with a big bang. You What you did is you got your dad to help you build a website and somehow – but how, how did you get Westpac and uh, Ramp – how did you get Westpac – because they own Rams, but how did you get them interested? Like how did that happen? I just put it on Google and they called me and it's the same with BHP. When you say put on Google, you use Google oh, Ads. Google Ads, yeah. yeah. BHP, the Scottish guy – called me and said, hey, I need help with my presentation. And he's now the CEO. So like, but somebody at Westpac was an individual. Said, Can you help me yeah. with the presentation? Not Westpac yeah. itself. But no, somebody. no, an individual. So it was always the individual, but they're generally quite senior. And that's what's really interesting. It's those senior guys that are sat there late at night creating their presentations and they need help. Mm. And they don't always want to give it to their secretaries. No, they who, definitely don't. And they don't yeah. want to hand it to anyone in the business because they, they, they feel as though they're handing control over. Yeah. So they want to get a third party. So the individuals paid you or did the bank pay? I mean, did, did they have budgets? It was actually a mix. So sometimes it comes from people's personal accounts, mm. and but now more so it's the businesses. So we've got a lot of preferred supplier status and it's all corporate. So, so, the, so the gap, I'm just trying to identify where the demand was that, for the people listening, and because you know people have these ideas about all sorts of things, not just what you're talking about, but have all sorts of ideas about things that are as gaps in the market. But where it seems to me that um, where the compelling nature of what you're offering was is that there's individuals who either got to protect their ego or got to protect their position in the business or want to jump above somebody else who they're trying to compete with. Um, but they didn't have the skill set that you had. They they knew them. They knew their territory. They knew their their job. They, they knew their business. They knew their own content. But they just didn't know how to compile it and, and put it in a way that was more interesting than what everybody else was doing. And we see movies. I mean, I've seen movies over the years. You know, these advertising movies where uh, sorry, movies about advertising companies and advertising executives where they've got to come up with a pitch to win a client. And uh, someone comes up with something really brilliant. You know, and the whole movies around that sort of stuff. So really what you're talking about is you're supplying a skill and a service to the individual who wants to come up with something brilliant outside of the business. Let's them elevate themselves. Yeah. So it's about them. Of, it, oh, it's always about them. So it's as not a about your business. It's not about, it's not about the content. So what, what's interesting here, this is about you making your client, who's the individual, was the individual in the early days, look better than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's definitely where it started. And it's that I need to look great. I need to win this job. Some people come to us, you know, and um, they have to present back in an interview. They were coming at that level and needing help for that. Now it's more marketing teams. Hey, we've got a team of people. They're really rubbish presenters. We need to help them communicate the message more clearly. So, but definitely to begin with, it was more of the individuals having that need to, to look better or then, and then to sort of sell or get the pitch and win the money or whatever they were trying to do. And a sort lot of like that. a Trojan horse. I mean, your Trojan horse into these organisations was making Mr. Whoever it is or Mrs. Whoever it is or Ms. Whoever it is look better. And then if you were successful, that individual became better and actually elevated themselves into a really good position. Yeah. And um, then they said, well, why don't we employ Emma or retain Emma's business for our whole business? Yeah. And they don't like better. to share. So a lot of them wouldn't share with their colleagues how they were doing this. Yeah, they wouldn't because, project it Exactly. And then we would have a case where the general managers were allowed to look pretty good, but the CEO's presentation had to look amazing. So he's, 
Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. quite interesting. That's cool. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a sort of a cool dynamic because, I mean, it's really not the content that's important here. It's, uh, it's the dynamics of the corporate environment that you're sort of working over. I mean, I'm not saying in a bad way, but you're taking advantage of the egos, the frailties, um, the um, competitiveness of individuals' needs in an organisation. From an individual point, yeah, definitely. Yeah, individual, yeah. But now the companies are seeing how much time they're wasting as a collective of how many teams are spending days creating crappy PowerPoints and then having hour-long meetings with 12 people in there to achieve nothing. And most people don't even look up from their emails when they're reading a present when they're in a presentation because they know they're going to read it later or they're just like, send me the deck, I'll read it whenever. Yeah. yeah. Um, so and that they're whole, waiting for someone else to make their changes and yeah. then they'll, they'll say, I'll make changes when all the changes are made. So we really, so now it's like, okay, well, ha- send them that document so they can read it. If you're actually bringing people together, how are you getting your point of view across more clearly? And that's a lot of the role that we focus on as well. And you said earlier that... Uh, what you try to do is, if there's a graph for you, I can say, because I mean, I've been, <laughs> I've seen this myself, graphs get put up and you're meant to interpret it. And I might interpret it a different way to the person who prepared it interpreted it. So the mm-hmm. question is, what's important? Yeah. Um, I might find, I might look at something else that I think is important when in fact the person who's preparing it or, or offering it to me or showing it to me may have some other point they're trying to make. And largely they never make the point. So your business started off with individuals, your business now is working with the corporates that those individuals are now higher up in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. How many people you got? 30. 30, f- 30 full-time staff just down the road at Moore Park, and we've got a few overseas as well. Right, okay. Um, and do you actually do you use Google AdWords now? Or? Yeah, we do. Still? <laughs> yes, yeah, still. Not not as much as and intensely as we used to, but yeah, we do. Because I, I, I want to talk about how you marketed your business. I, I, I see how you marketed your business. So just, just for everyone listening again, we, um, Emma's obviously got a skill, <clears throat> but in, in, in learning her skills, she identified a problem. She picked out the problem and provided a solution. Um, she used Google AdWords to get her, you know, get her started. Um, and interestingly enough, people would be sitting there at night, I imagine, they'd, they'd be putting into Google um wordsmith or, I don't know, presentation. Presentation help. Yeah, yeah, presentation help. Okay, so, and because they're absolutely shitting themselves because they don't know how to do this. It's a funny, it's a skill that should be taught at university, but um, they probably are taught how to do a PowerPoint, but they're not taught how to um, present a PowerPoint or how to do it properly. I mean, that's probably the issue. They're not taught this, because we've spoken to a few of them, like just to find out what's happening. And they, they're not taught the structure of how to communicate through a presentation process or where to start and all of that, that whole structure piece. And so they just stick a ton of words on the slides like most people do. What we find is if we come into a presentation late in the piece and you ask them, what was your objective here? What is even your measure of success? They'll go, oh, I don't know, I just wanted to talk about it. And they, if you then try and shorten everything down, so if you only had 10 minutes, what would the point be that you're trying to make? What what action are you trying to derive your audience to do as a result of this meeting? Then they haven't even thought about those basics. So they, their whole process is not clear. And so that's the piece that we try and help them with to make sure that they can communicate it clearly. And because it's not a really a separate job for the individuals that are preparing, this is sort of like the last bit of the the last six months of work they've been doing. They've probably mm. been working on something for six months, <clears throat> day in, day out, and the last bit is actually presenting it. That's yep. the, the, the little bit at the end. And um, they know why they were doing the work in the first place, but they don't actually know what their audience is going to want for a start. Um, and and th- what they tend to do, I and mean, I've, I've done it myself, is you tend to present something as 10 pages long when you should be really doing it in one page. I have a room office. If you, just, if you can't fit in one page, don't show it to me. I, I actually disagree with that in the sense that if you've got, um, you should have a set time limit. And because what we find is that if you give someone, what, say, one slide rule or a three slide rule, then they just squish everything onto it and then everyone sits there trying to read it. But if you limit the time and say, I don't care how many slides you've got, like I present sometimes for half an hour and deliver 140 slides, but they're fast, they're clear. And so your audience are completely focused on that point that supports what you're saying. So it's be clear on the message and the support might help or don't have anything, but be clear on that message and plan that out 
so that that's what sticks with people. Do you ever help them do presentations without a PowerPoint? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Because the first piece that we do is to map out, okay, where are you trying to, what are you trying to achieve? Like where, what are your audience's main problems? So what are those things keeping them up at night? All of the sort of marketing 101 of um, what's at stake for them and how are you going to help change that for them? And then, then we kind of start with the, okay, what is their world like right now? What is the current situation? And then the whole persuasive line is where, where are we going to take them? How are we going to do that? And then we go back and forwards between where they're going to be and where they are right now. And then we map out the call to action, any of the key takeaways, and then finish with that description of the new bliss or the new place that we're in. So we need the insights and we need the structure to follow for any presentation. And that could be a conversation, a 10-minute conversation in a coffee shop. If you've mapped that out, your audience are going to, the person you're speaking to is going to be more persuaded. When you say mapped it out, you mean actually uh, mapped it out on a, on a document? Yeah, well, we use paper a lot. <clears throat> so we, we start with sort of um, paper, sketching out what we want to achieve and then going online if we're sharing and collaborating with people. Okay, because um, I'm going to go to the break, but I just, when I come back, I want to talk to you about, about a few things. That, I mean, the sort of things that are going through my mind in presenting whatever it is, whether you're doing a pitch or you're presenting an annual council, whatever the case, or investor presentation, People's attention span today has shortened. Yep. There's been a structural shift in our attention span, and mainly because we get we're seeing so many things. Our brain has adjusted and says, "Look, I'm only good for 15 minutes or 20 minutes." Yep. I want to know what you think about that, and um, how do you stop your clients from boring their audience to death, um, or uh, stop your clients from putting the audience in a position where they're begrudgingly listening or they just turn over to their mobile phone whilst they're being presented to. Um, because that's something I notice is happening a lot. People who do the old school PowerPoint and they go on for a long time, lose the audience very quickly. And what might be the, the most important um, uh, graph or, 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 or slide might be the last one. Yep. And they've lost them. Totally. You've got to, you, cause you've got to own the audience and you've got to control the audience. Um, and it's not an easy thing to do. And there's a change way, the way we think today. I mean, especially not saying maybe my generation, probably not even your generation, but below your generation or you know, beyond your generation, younger people, say in the early 20s. Um, how are they changing the face of how you get your clients to do the presentation? That's the sort of stuff I want to talk about. So uh, we'll go to the break and we'll come back and talk. I want to welcome back Emma Bannister. Um, we're talking about, well, we're talking about her business, but more importantly, I'm getting into sort of um, deeper thought processes about pitches and presentations and um, probably speeches too, to some extent, because I do quite a few of those myself. And how you hold your audience and how you get your message through to your audience. And one of the things that's dawned on me is that, um, and because of my, it's my experience of, of late, is that. I noticed that what I could do in half an hour, now I have to do in 20 minutes. Even this podcast, we started off this podcast, we used to do an hour and we've now broken down to two parts of 20 minutes. And I think there's a, a phenomenon that's arising now is that people's um, attention spans getting a lot less in terms of the chunks that they will allocate to any one particular aspect of anything they're listening to or watching or reading. Um, is that a phenomenon you're guiding your clients around? Yeah, we definitely advocate shorter presentations and to the point that a 10-minute presentation is far harder to plan for and prepare than a 60-minute presentation. Yeah, And we're actively encouraging the people that don't normally get out there and share an opinion to stand up and say, all right, I'm going to share just 10 minutes, share my point of view. And when you start, you tell them how long you're going to talk for. So that helps as well. So they know that they've only got to listen for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And then they, they can kind of plan themselves for that. And we find that really helpful. For so people. conditioning the market. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Making them feel happy. Oh, good. There's only going to be 10 minutes. Great. I will listen. Yeah. If I think I'm going to be, because I, I, I agree. I mean, if I think oh, there's an hour presentation, my God, I think, my, how am I going to do this? Like an hour, because I've got so much to do. Yeah. And condition them before. So what we encourage people to do is say, okay, you, you tell the people that are coming to the meeting or the presentation that it's going to be, say, half an hour. You're going to speak for 10, 15 minutes and take some questions and say, I will send out follow-up information afterwards, but you won't get 
that same information that I'm sharing during the presentation. So you've got to make it clear that they were going to hear something different from the speaker than what they will be reading on their own in that in that document. So you're collectively saving the cost of all those people in the room and you're getting the speaker's point of view across far more clearly. Otherwise, don't bother. And we, we say that a lot. Like, what are you... You don't even need to have a presentation right now. You can just send out this document, get people to read it. No one's going to be upset. Yeah, because the, the old school people might think that that's not the way it is. Yeah. But I agree. And it's like, a bit like, because if you look at the, the TED Talks and, you know, like if you look at what um, Linda does on um, LinkedIn, everything's like seven to ter- 10 minutes, 12 minutes maybe, yeah. um, not beyond. Yeah. That's sort of the modern and, and because we all, I prefer to listen to three different ones or look at, watch three different um, talks over an hour as opposed to listening to one. Yeah. And generally speaking, I'm even trying to speed up sometimes if I can, if it's on a video. Um, how deep do you get into the research around human behavior in terms of how you help your clients present? The training that we provide so we've got two arms we've got the the sort of delivery piece where we do it for people and then we've got the training and so our training we've partnered with my US mentor um, Nancy Duarte and she has written a whole series of books on persuasive presentations and it's actually the formula from that persuasive writing program that we use to educate and train our clients as well so we get really really deep into how and why and the science behind it. And so Nancy's persuasive storyline, the one that I shared earlier about where we are right now, where we're going to, she studied um, speakers ranging from um, um, I Have a Dream through to Steve Jobs and his iPhone 7 launch through to Hitler, some of the famous prime minister's speeches, and they all follow this same formula. So we've got the science that proves how we can persuade people more effectively. So would you mind explaining to me that the formula again? No. Yeah. Yep. We start with the audience. So the audience are the most important people. So why are they there and what are they needing to get out of this time together? And then we, we kind of dissect who they are. If there are different people within the audience, what we might need to say to them, say if there's HR, finance, all the different heads in the room um, and what they need to hear to make sure we call that out as well. Uh, we start by describing the current situation and where we are right now. And then we flow back and forwards between um, where we're going to be and where we are right now again. So it's kind of like a roller coaster pattern of the presentation. And you, you have to have that structure because otherwise it's just like a pitch. So a pitch structure is these are your problems and then we just talk about us and how amazing we are and we never relate back to the audience. Or a report is this is where we are, these are all our problems, everything we've ever learned you need this. So it's completely different. Um, so we want to be much more in touch. And that can be a 10-minute pitch, or sorry, not pitch, conversation, or it could be 30, 45 minutes. And how important is it, Emma, to, to explain, because, I mean, you're, you're right, a lot of times people put a pitch and it's all about success and, um, you know, it's, it becomes unbelievable. So how important is it to remain real and sort of hit on the things that, the problems that you encountered? Oh, every it's everything you've got to be I mean you've got to be authentic so you've got to find that common ground with your audience so be able for them to connect with you around what shared experiences you've had with this challenge and also identify the challenges they've got right now so are the uh, surveys showing that they're unhappy are um, what are, are, are sales targets not, not going to be hit whatever it is we've got you've got to call it and connect with them not just gloss over things um, and that's how you get that authenticity. And, and people come to us and say, I need help with my presentation and I need speaker training, like voice coaching or yep. gestures. And uh, you don't need that. You need to start back with what you're saying and how you're saying it. Then we can visualize it to give you that confidence. What does that mean by visualize it? So that might be the slides. So right. oh, you mean um, put it in a visual? Put t- it into pictures, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, but not just like twenty. Because <clears throat> twenty photos on a screen is not going to be memorable for your audience. It might help create some emotion, but infographics, keywords, whatever it is that helps the speaker to have a bit more confidence and structure for them to remember what they're saying. Because that I've. I used to be the most insecure, nervous speaker in the world. And then as a CEO of a presentation agency, I had to learn to go and speak. And so I had to push myself right out of that comfort zone 
And once I'd done that and knew that I had a, a visual support that at least I knew that was right, then I could work on the rest. So we, we, we don't let people just think that the voice is the problem. It's got to be the confidence around what they're saying and how they say it. And how important is the, the theatre of it all? Um, if someone sounds boring, looks boring, dresses boring, doesn't move, just sits boring, you know, I could draw a picture of someone like that, you know, it's nearly like a stick picture. Yeah, behind um, a lectern. Yeah. How important is the theatre? Well, not so much just in a speech, but... I mean, obviously, the theatre and the speech is really important because they're on a stage. But I'm talking about the theatre, just in a presentation in a boardroom, for argument's sake, mm. or in front of investors in a in a meeting room. How important is theatre? Like raising your voice, tone. Is the, it, there's a range of ways to connect and engage, and you've got to mix it up. So you can't just do one thing. So we can connect emotionally through stories, short stories that connect them. Go, oh yeah, that that makes me feel that thing, and they'll they'll remember that piece. We can connect through um, the the visuals that we use. Maybe that might that help. Um, shocking statistics. So when you say um, we, we whatever the stat is around this, we've got thirty percent growth on this. Or if we don't do this, then this really bad thing's going to happen. So really waking people up to the reality of it, but making it meaningful. So it's not like this pie in the sky statistic, but something that's actually relevant to them. Um, so we, there's a whole range of things that we have to plug in and repeating things because I find one of the main things people do is they, they might say the key message is this, but they'll say it once at the beginning and no one's going to remember that. People actually remember less than 10% of any presentation. So if there is one key thing you want them to remember, you've got to repeat it like a preacher almost. Mm. It's got to come up a lot for your audience to for it to really stick. Yeah, it's interesting, and um, I, I know when um, because I do a lot of I write a lot of stuff in newspapers, and most the thing that people really remember is a what's on the right hand side of the of the newspaper. They don't remember what's on the left hand side for some yeah. reason. They don't even read it. Um, two, uh, they remember the photograph, and they remember the headline. They very rarely remember what's the text, what's in there. We um, think in visuals, yeah. and I've got this. Um, a little example that I do in the, in the workshops I run, and I say, everyone, okay, close your eyes, imagine there's a beer right in front of you, and everyone does, and then I open up and I show this video of a nice big glass of beer, and um, I then show the, a picture of the letters, B-E-E-R, so did anyone think of this? And no one does, because mm. you don't think of a beer as B-E-E-R. Mm. You think of a beer as a beautiful, bubbly glass, mm. okay. and that's... That's then people go, ah, oh, we do think in visuals. Even if we don't think we're creative, we think like that and it gets knocked out of us. Right. And so when you're doing, when someone's doing a PowerPoint presentation or if you're assisting them to do it, is the graphic designer that more about, um, less about words? How do you get the right balance between, say, the photo of the beer freak? I mean, that's a stupid example from my point of view, but the photo of the beer as opposed to the word B-E-E-R. Yeah. I mean, how do you get the balance right without looking without looking like it's too much of a, a brochure? Yeah, and that's the other piece. You can't just be using stock pictures that don't look real or connect in any way to your audience. Well, that's, that's what our designers do. They're a team of experts that are so passionate about creating the visuals that support it and mixing it up. It's got to be on brand and all of those things, but that is that diversity that helps people remember because we notice what's different. If you stick 20 graphs up, they're not going to remember that any more than 20 photos. So it's really finding from the speaker what is the insight they're saying. So if you've got a presentation, okay, what do you say when this graph's on the screen? What do you say with this page of words? Because you don't stand there and read it. What does the speaker say? Then we take the key piece from that and make that the piece that goes on the slide. Is there any danger in a PowerPoint that um, if the PowerPoint is really expressive and the actual document, the thing that goes on the screen, is really expressive um, and heavily narrated in, like in, in a script, in, in text, that the audience will be reading the PowerPoint and not listening to the presenter? 100%. It's terrible, and they do. And, and when you're reading, you read out loud in your head, so you literally read those words out loud. Mm. And if someone else is re saying something, then that's no, it's two people speaking to you mm. at the same time. It's a so you can't, like you physically can't do mm. it. So there's no way you should, any speaker should be reading off the slide. Send that information out afterwards. Cut your presentation to like 10, 15 minutes. Make your point of view clear. 
and then send all that six months of work that you've been working on afterwards. So you will you want the, you want the listener to listen to you, yeah. and not be reading something you've written up there, because there is a tendency I've seen from PowerPoint presentations generally is that the the speaker isn't actually thinking about speaking; he's actually writing, um, put like it's like an essay. Yeah, everything I've ever done, yeah. and I, this is my proof <clears throat> of how hard I've been working. And that's not helping the audience. So we want to help the audience make them act on what they've heard and be clear on what they need to do. So it, it, it's, there's so much structure to it, but once you follow the rules, it transforms everything. Uh, uh, the, the, some of the presentations we've been working on have been so successful and it's just that we get the tears at the beginning of the presentation when they're stressed out of their minds about this giant opportunity and then we get the flowers and chocolates and all the good bits afterwards. When are you having a 10 o'clock at night when they ring up and say, oh, my God, I'm dying here? Or do you have to you, – is that when you get your uh, requests at like 10 o'clock at night, 9 We get a few, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like out of desperation? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. It, so we take them, though. How do you, how do you um, multiply yourself within your own business? So you said you had 30, 30 staff. 30, 30 staff. Yeah. Of that, of, of that what, how many of those people actually – pull these presentations together? So we got a team of 10 designers and six account managers and the rest. And the account manager does what? Are they, well, the account managers, um, the, well, the six that we have are more mm. project managers actually. So they're that the, the facilitation between the client and what they need, or what they think they need. And then we help educate them on what they actually really do need um, and find the best solution for that. And then they kind of make sure it all happens between studio and our team of writers and um, they, they kind of, they're that production hub. We've got um, uh, three other people that focus on educating people about what we do and how we do it and onboarding them and working with a lot of the big accounts that we work with. So people like Microsoft and Telstra, there's a lot of sort of activity that we work on on really big conferences. So doing one at the moment and there's like 80 speakers. Wow. So it's about getting a consistent message across when there's so much change happening. So and but how do you ensure that your people who work for, the people who work for you um, are all sort of doing it exactly the way you'd like it to be done? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that's, but that's the growth challenge that mm. I've faced. And you know, when you're small, and there was only me and a, a sort of another girl, and and then as we grew, when there's like five of us those conversations are transparent because my passion for what we do comes out and everyone's like, yeah, we're doing this and it's all exciting. And then we got to about 15 people and my voice started to be lost because you can't directly manage that many people. And that was when our culture did hit uh, quite a challenge and morale, like work goes up and down and morale hits and all of those Clients growth. start complaining yeah, and they're coming direct to you. Yes, yeah, all of that. And, and then you're doing less of what you- – you're doing more management, more administration or managing your own people. and Fighting fires, all of it. So I've tried a few things. We've had general managers Mm -hmm. um, in in different layers and um, that's that's been really um, good to a point. But now actually we've flattened out our structure in terms of having the the key um, department heads across our sort of growth teams communication teams and the production teams. And I'm now super clear on what our purpose is in terms of, so we exist to create value and add impact for our clients and their presentations. And so now that's the core of everything we do. So each team knows how they fit into that. So the culture and the values that we live and breathe are vital. Does it get to a point where you say, I'm not going to expand anymore? I'm, I'm at my optimum. Well, we're scaling at the moment through Asia. So we've got um, our, our core kind of clients in Sydney and Melbourne, but the training side is where we're scaling. And training means? Training. So um, we've got uh, uh, workshops where we go out and we teach teams, corporate teams mostly, how to write their own presentations because they, they just need to have that consistent message and structure. And we also do PowerPoint training. So just speeds everyone out, makes them more efficient. And it was like, oh, my God, I saved like 17 years of my life if I'd have known this stuff and just simple things to help them. But then we take on the bigger pieces for them. Um, so the the communication from me right now is is super transparent in that I do a lot of sort of presenting and sharing the ideas and strategy for the team. And that's hopefully how it will stay 
loud. That's a good way to scale your business, train other people in the organisation, their organisation, to do the things that you do mm. as opposed to you going and doing it for them. Well, because, I can't, yeah. yeah. And as, as I haven't designed presentations for years now, like I, I even it was one of the first roles I outsourced. So um, as, when it was just me, the first person I got on board was another account manager and then it was other designers and I, I'm not as those guys are so good. I, there's no way I could match that. You can't think creatively when you've got a zillion other things going on in your mind. So now, especially running a business, yeah. And so my role now is to go out and speak and raise awareness to what we do and what people could be doing better because they get kind of flatlined, think that that they're just doing what they're doing or don't know better. And you get these old school people perhaps that will stand up and speak for 60 minutes oh. no one knows what they even said like you can walk out yeah. there and like I have no idea they're shit talkers too I mean I'm yeah. sorry I, mean, I listen to them all the time and they just ramble they just talk crap yeah. and uh, it kills me uh, and, and and to be honest with you I think what happens too Emma is that my experience with them is that they're working on a project for so long that by the time they get to the part where they've actually got to do the present, build the presentation and present, they're stuffed. They're exhausted. They're deal fatigued. Um, they've got nothing left. And uh, they're just happy to do a one-hour presentation because it's one hour out of the last yeah, thousand hours. And uh, it's, you're correct. It's over. It's not, it's, and it actually is, should be the most important bit. Yeah. It's like, you know, this is the present. Wrap it up. Show me how it looks. And uh, they're 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 buggered by that stage, and they just don't know what else to do. They 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 give up, and a lot of them won't recognise their. Um, I mean, I I see so many people is that they don't recognise that they're hopeless at it. They think they're good at it. Don't that's know any a scary different. bit. Yeah, and that's my biggest challenge actually. I mean, we're a successful business, but we want to grow. There's so much more we can do. I don't have real competitors other than. Um, people not knowing that this exists, that they should be putting the effort in. And it's only when they see what their competitors are doing that someone actually is doing something, oh, my God, that looks like a video, or how did, did you even do that? Is that really PowerPoint? Mm. And then they go, oh, crap, I really need to do something about this. And then they raise their game or come to us, and that's the biggest challenge we have. We're t- telling people, yeah, getting people to acknowledge that they're weak at something. Um, and yeah. I, it's, as I said, well, we held a pitch day with Uber and uh, Uber got me to announce at the Sid Start uh, conference and, uh, and and I did. And uh, we had actually within 24 hours, we had 10,000 people apply on the Uber app to come get into an Uber car in the back of a car. We had a GoPro on it and pitched to me and five other people that I chose to come with me, um, pitched to me for seven minutes. And we, we then would give them seven minutes worth of feedback. We filmed it all. We only ended up getting through 57 people out of the 10,000. But what was important for me, one of the things I noted from it, I, I don't think out of all, I, I might have done, I may have done 10. I, as I recall, there was one girl, um, Asian background, but like Australian educated, um, who did, and she gave me a pitch about um, a, a form of milk that uh, alternative milk that she was producing. It's a little small business pitches. They were, it was the only one that made sense to me. The only one I was interested in and the only one that kept me interested um, with her content and the way she did it in, in a seven minute period. The rest of them probably had some good ideas. Some were quite good ideas, but they were just dreadful. Yeah. And it, I'd say that, it, you know, well, my colleagues who did the rest of the other 57, the other 47 pitches, they had the same outcome. Mm. And it seems to me that, most people don't know how to pitch an idea. They just don't know how to connect. And the, the, whether they don't um, understand audiences, whether they don't know um, their product well enough, whether they're just totally unskilled in this sort of area. I don't know what the reason is. I really, I mean, I, we had some pitches like they end up coming in by video. And because uh, in the end, I had somebody, I said, look, just send in a video of what it is. So they, people would be pitching a product in their hand, right? And the video wouldn't show the product. They were, they were saying they're trying to explain to me the product, and there's me just looking at their mouth moving, and I couldn't even see the product. They, they have that's like basic yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think there's a massive market for this. I, I know you're dealing with the corporates, but I think there's a massive market for like a, a light, like a light version of what you do. Mm. Um, you know, maybe on an app or something. I don't know, but like it's a just you know ten basic things. You know, remember to show the product. You know, to speak clearly, make sure your hair's you know whatever. I don't know. I don't know what it is. You know what this stuff is, but um, and people people would probably pay for it. I mean, yeah. it's uh, 
because I just think there's so many people out there who want to pitch their ideas. I mean, I get it. I walk down the street, people stop me and say, can, can, can I just stop you for a minute? I just want to, I just got an idea, you know? And, and, and I'm thinking, whoa, like uh, mostly they're boring anyway, and uh, which is one of the reasons I listen to them. If I thought it was interesting, I would listen to them. But there are so many people out there who haven't got a clue about how to pitch an idea, whether it's through a narrative or whether it's through a video or whether it's um, sending something to me or whether it's a investor presentation. I and mean, I think your business is a great business. Um, a presentation studio, I'm, I mean, it doesn't really tell the story of what you're doing um, to me. Mm. Um, but I think what you are doing is fantastic. The issue is going to be how do you scale it yes. um, and manage it. It's going to become a management business for you. Um, yeah. It's going to become a nightmare management. But that's what happens when you <laughs> to manage scale is a nightmare. That's the deal. That's your, that's your deal going forward. Mm. You have to accept that. Yeah. And it's you're going to have people going to really piss you off and going to let down the team and aren't going to represent, you know, all the stuff that you that you want to have happen properly because there will be human error, I guess, involved. And my, one of my businesses like that, um, there's always human error involved. No matter how how passionate they are, it all comes down to execution. They don't always execute properly and you're always retraining and retraining your own people. I've yeah, that. and that it is. It's, it's how much freedom you give people to empower and develop them and find their own solutions as opposed to being dictating and saying, I know this works, do it this way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's finding that balance. You're always going to be juggling that and yeah. there's going to be reassessing, reassessing, reassessing. Everyone's going to think, you know, you're, uh, you can't, you're, um, you're one of those people who's, who's a bit volatile or they'll say you keep changing your mind. Mm. But really what you're doing is reassessing all the time yeah. um, because everybody's everybody's different. Every individual is different. You might get two people, polar opposites, who have equally good outcomes in yeah. terms of the way they present uh, or they train, in yeah. your case, train. Yeah. Emma, I always give everyone an opportunity to ask me a question. Sounds like you've got your hands all over this and you've you really got control of it. But is there any question you'd like to ask me? Um, I, I was going to ask, like, what do you do with your presentations? Um, but you've shared a lot of that already. Well, I, I don't prepare my own presentation. Well, it, the businesses I'm involved in, I don't prepare my own presentations that gets done by the staff. I, I will tell you now that um, I'm not happy with them. Um, and uh, I've sort of, in some respects, I give up. Yeah. Um, it just, I just, oh, shit, I'll, I'll fix it later. I'll, I'll, I mean, as long as it's accurate and it, and, and um, it complies with a regulatory environment because I'm always we, our presentation is mostly around what we have to do in terms of a regulatory environment. Who, yeah, why yeah. when we have to put something out, yeah. we rarely put anything out when we don't have to put it out. Um, so, I, therefore, I give up um, and I just do the what, what we're required to do in my personal stuff. I mean, I make speeches a lot. I don't do PowerPoint. Um, I generally, and I don't put any visuals up. I do it all on stage and I, I just act it out. Yeah. So I perform. And that's power. That's I, really powerful. I perform. Yeah. So I put on a performance. And I basically change around to the audience. So I just sussing the audience out as I'm going and uh, seeing whether I've got them or I haven't got them. If I haven't got them, I just change it up. And I've got just a few little tricks and techniques that I use to get them interested. The content's pretty much always the same. Um, just And it's all around stories. I just tell stories. I'm a narrator and I find that works best. Um, but in terms of um, our own business, interestingly enough, um, right now uh, – we're going through some stuff now where we actually have to tell a story about our business. And I was only thinking to myself when you were speaking, I wish I'd have known you um, maybe two weeks ago, um, but it's not too late because we probably will be, we definitely will be having to spruce up whatever it is we report to the Stock Exchange today in more vernacular or not vernacular, more um, uh, to the world type speak as opposed to what the ASX requires. Yeah. Yeah, um, so not the legal side. Yeah, yeah, the, not the yeah. regulatory stuff. Yeah, yeah, the regulatory stuff tends to be really boring because the lawyers get all over it and tell you what it's you can and can't say, yeah. um, which is I mean, it's fair enough, I guess. I can't, I'm not going to sit here and bag the regulator, not the with the with the Royal Commission out there at the moment. Um, so maybe I will talk to you. I will have a look at your book too. But for me, we have a graphic guy, a guy who's a graphic designer. He's good, but interestingly enough, he all he does is the graphics. He doesn't really get involved in helping out in the presentations that the, actually what the document looks like. He just, yeah. provi- he just goes, Oh, here's some graphs yeah. or here's some pictures. That's all he does. And then he looks at the final thing in terms of color and palettes and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And I'm sure he'd like to be trained to step up because he's quite an ambitious guy. He's quite good. Um, in terms of his attitude, 
He's the sort of person needs who would I reckon would do well if he was trained. Great. Give me his number. Yeah. We always need more designers. And, and it is. It's about finding the way that they can understand the strategy and thinking behind bringing the story out rather than just finding a picture. So a great presentation is one that all the visuals balance together to, to tell that whole story and, and visually everything's connected. Well, what's interesting when people like us, I guess everyone's, maybe a lot of people are saying, but what we tend to do is say, we don't give him that freedom. We say, oh, look, we just need, give us, give us some graphics. And then he just gives it to us. And that's yeah. it. We don't go back to him. In fact, he doesn't push back. The lead should be around with him. He mm-hmm. should be saying, look, I've read the narrative which are written. And uh, these are the things that I think, the graphics that you, you can put up there, they're going to tell the story better. You know, he doesn't, yeah. he, he hasn't been leading it. We, we tend to lead it as um, corporate Johnnies, you know. With it, you, you, they, and also, it's, we do it this because we've always done it like this. Mm. We all are, we our audience expect this. And the one before, and we just yeah. update it. That's, yes. So most people just literally go, what did we do last time, and change the no, numbers. No, totally. That's exactly what happens. But yeah, no, it's the it's education around how we can bring that, communicate that more clearly. This is brilliant. I, it's funny, it's timely. So I was only thinking as I was, I was talking to you, you know, you know, maybe there's a sign here for me, like uh, this is something I should, we should need, we, uh, we do need to do this. So um, Presentation Studio, you're doing well. You're expanding overseas. I'm really happy to hear that. It's a good story. You've done brilliant. I presume you're an Australian resident. You're, I'm you're a citizen. A citizen. Yes. Um, you've, you've done well. It's funny, you know, it's, you're a quiet achiever. Um, your business is, you know, all over the place in terms of Asia and Australia now. And you've got some big names as clients. You, you, you mentioned a few of the names there. And, uh, and I, I remember when I read the brief, I thought, I wonder how the hell she's done that. And I, now I get it. You've actually smart. You've called out the individuals in the organisations who need help, or they've called you out, and they've been our cheerleaders. Yeah, they're your cheerleaders. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. It's like Trojan horse stuff. It's really good. Once you're in, then you open the doors, and everybody just wanders around. And, and they're starts doing training. such powerful things. That's the the piece that really I love. Like some of the TED talks. One of the ladies, she's transforming super funds so that they don't invest in tobacco or other companies like um, we just, our American partners were working on, they worked on Al Gore's presentation for An Inconvenient Truth. Like people have incredible messages that get trapped in shitty PowerPoints. Totally. That's that's what our goal is. Yeah, that's a good way to get incredible stories to tell but trapped in shitty presentations. Yes. That should be a strap line. I love that. (laughs) Emma, my website. Thank thanks you. very much. Oh, I loved it. it Pleasure. Great. Thanks, Mark. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.